Welcome to the Expert Network Team podcast. Where our goal is to inform and educate our listeners on matters related to finance, legal, insurance, accounting, and other interests that are of personal and business nature. We hope you will find our content useful as well as entertaining. The Expert Network team consists of Carl Frank of ANI Financial, Mike Miller of Miller and Associates CPAs, Jeff Cromendike of Security First Insurance Agency, and I'm Nathan Merrill. I'm an attorney at Goodspeed and Merrill. Together, our independent team combines our expertise to provide you insights and solutions, some straightforward, some profound, for real-life opportunities we see on a daily basis. We hope you enjoy the information contained in today's podcast and find it useful. If you'd like to learn more or desire to meet with any of the Expert Network team members in person, you can contact us at info at expertnetworkteam.com. That's I-N-F-O at expertnetworkteam.com. We encourage you to take advantage of a free consultation with any of our team members. Just mention this podcast when you schedule your appointment. Now on to today's podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's Expert Network Team meeting. We are so excited to talk with you today about uh, lending and doctor's practices. With our with us today, uh, we've got our usual host. We've got the entire four, group of four, in a long time, in a long time. That was Nate Merrill with Goodspeed and Merrill. Welcome, welcome, Nate. Yeah, there's probably an echo in the back. I'm an echo because we're short of mic now because there's so many of us here. Uh, also with us is Jeff Cromadike. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good, Carl. Thank you for having me. It is good to be together. It's it, been a summer of coming and going. It's been almost two years of this craziness. Yeah. And finally, our last expert on the team, uh, Mike Miller, CPA. How are you, Mike? Good. How are you guys doing? <laughs> it sounds like everybody's doing great. Yep. Our guest of honor today is Shelly Doan. And Shelly is an expert on lending, particularly to the medical field and private practice, doctors, dentists, et cetera. Uh, we're going to just dive right into the subject matter today. Uh, you know, doctors are getting older. People in the medical profession are not getting younger. There's less people coming in. There's a real big transition challenge. There's a lot of money on the table, a lot of worries, a lot of financial stress. And for a lot of these people, this is their biggest asset. So, um, Shelly, maybe you could talk about how, uh, what you do, how you do it, and, and some of the uh, opportunities you see. And we'll just start piping in as we see fit, as we've been thinking about a bunch of questions we want to ask. So take it away. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here in person. This is awesome. Um, so yeah, so I'm Shelly Doan. I am a lender for KeyBank, um, a healthcare lender. I've been working with doctors since about 2007 um, in various capacities. The majority of the time I'll get involved with a medical practice as part of a lending need. Um, typically that's either an expansion, finance, or a transition. That's kind of where I spend most is kind of the corner of the sandbox that I spend most of my time playing in. Um, and so, yeah, my uh, background is in entrepreneurship, actually. So my undergraduate degree was in entrepreneurship, um, grew up in a family business, kind of thought that that was the route I was going to go. Um, when it came time to pick a major, I thought, well, I guess I'll do that because these classes are fun. And then I graduated and said, what, what am I going to do now? What Nobody's hiring entrepreneurs. I don't know how that works. So I uh, started a real estate company, started a couple publication businesses, just kind of, you know, before the, the gig economy was a thing, I was kind of out doing that. Um, 
with my real estate business, um, I was working, you know, about 25 hours a day, pretty much in real estate and met this guy, um, and said, you know, I think, I think maybe it's time to scale back a little bit. And, um, banking seemed to be perfect because I was working with and for entrepreneurs, uh, but I got to go home at five and I had health insurance. So, um, so that was gosh, 20 years ago or so that, um, that I kind of hung up, retired as an entrepreneur, so to speak, and then kind of came into the lending world. And, and yeah, I've been doing that ever since and, and love it. 2007, 2008 came around and, uh, with the economy being what it was, not a lot of entrepreneurs were qualifying at the time. And, uh, so yeah, kind of starting to feel a little bit like today, but yeah, We, um, as a bank, I was with a different bank at the time, we kind of put our heads together and said, who would qualify for a loan? And we kind of blindly said, well, doctors probably have money. Let's try to go give them loans. And so became a healthcare lender then and um, had a look back. I I have found that um, kind of accidentally, really, over the years that... Uh, my background in entrepreneurship has been a perfect marriage with these doctors because they are very smart. They're taught a lot of things in medical school. Running a business is not one of them. So I know nothing about how to cure cancer or treat obesity or anything like that, but I know a thing or two about how to run a business. And so it, it works So I'm going to jump in right there and kind of dive in on that issue a little bit, recognizing mm-hmm. that uh, banks like to see, you know, solid, Mike and I have talked a lot about this, solid balance sheets, good P&Ls, financials, and doctors, if they don't have a well-run back office, can, I, I imagine, be a challenge. But what do you look mm-hmm. for as a lender in a practice? So if somebody's listening and saying, I'd like to get my business house in order, what should they focus on? What are you going to be looking at? So the first thing we look at, especially in a medical practice, is cash flow. Cash flow is king, and that's really what, what drives the ability to borrow money. Um, or it also drives the, the value of that practice, which is what we would be loaning against in the event of a, a transition. Um, so cash flow is first and foremost. Um, we look at expense controls as well. Um, and then it, we do look at the balance sheet, not as much as you would think. Um, it's not at all uncommon to see no equity in these practices. Doctors tend to pull everything out. There's not much left on the balance sheet for the most part. Typically, real estate's about the only hard asset they might have in most types of medical practices, short of a little bit of equipment here and there. Um, patient list is, is, you know, really where that, that value of that practice is driven. So, um, so, yeah, cash flow, expense controls are probably the two bigger things that we, we look at. And are there different types of practices that are more attractive than others or really depends on the bank. Um, you know, some banks will look at, you know, a veterinary is a, a perfect example. Uh, some banks lump everybody together. And if you're a doctor, then you qualify. A lot of banks tend to kind of shy away from chiropractic because there's sort of an asterisk next to, to the doctor title, unfortunately, with, with chiropractors. Um, but yeah, so it, it depends on the bank. And you'll kind of find individual lenders will have more experience within what, yeah, healthcare is such a broad topic. It, it could incorporate pediatricians, orthopedic surgeons, optometrists, and each one of those business models is slightly different and has its own unique little quirks and personalities. And um, so it, it depends on the bank and, and to a lot, uh, to a large extent, the lender 
um, you know, how much experience they have, what questions they know to ask, that kind of thing. Got it. So, and you know, uh, re rewinding a little bit, I, I believe that you were uh, very active also in the PPP period, mm. and you know, there's now that we're in the recovery mode from all this, and and cash flows is, is more robust and king and stuff like that. Um, have you seen a, a evolution in this at all? Has PPP, or not just PPP, has COVID affected these practices that you're lending to at all? So PPP, remind me again. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> stroked out a little bit when you said that. I'm kind of have PTSD from that. <laughs> that's what, uh, I, that's yeah. what I recall. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I believe that's that paycheck thing. No. Why did you bring that up? Yeah. Seriously, what is this happening? I'm waiting yeah. for round three. I'm breaking out in hives over here. No. I mean, they're going to shut us down again, right? We're going to get another may, round of PPP, may. I'm hoping. Anybody no. heard? Anyway. Anything's possible. They're giving out money in California right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know me. But yeah, so... Um, we are, what I'm seeing is kind of a return to normal. I was actually talking to an orthopedic surgeon just today, and um, she sort of seemed to indicate there was about an eight-week period in 2020 where everything was completely shut down. Um, interestingly enough, another, and this, this kind of varies depending on what, um, you know, what type of medical practice it is, but, you know, in this particular practice, people weren't driving as much, so people weren't getting in accidents as much, so there weren't as many patients to see. So in addition to not being able to see the patients, there were just fewer, there was less fewer need. Incidences. Yeah, yeah, so um, I thought that was kind of an interesting, you know, sort of fallout. Um, it seems, and this is purely anecdotal on, on my part, it seems to be that for, for as messy as PPP was, it did seem to, to kind of bridge the gap and for the most part meet the needs of those practices and kind of keep keep things afloat. So you haven't um, seen a lot of failures or no, none. Um and in fact I've you know I work with doctors exclusively, but my colleagues have um, you know, restaurants and laundromats and other industries that, that they serve and, and so far um, knock on wood, we haven't haven't really seen a ton. The statistics, especially in the restaurant and, and retail industry, seem to bear out a different story. Um, but yeah, I really um, I, I feel like we've been pretty lucky in that that does it has seemed to to kind of help. Another speaking of PPP, another interesting um, kind of dynamic that that I've run into when we're underwriting a loan, we do look at cash flow so heavily. Uh, we back PPP out of the income, uh, which is kind of interesting. And yeah, I had a I had an interesting situation where right kind of at the end of second wave of PPP, um, and I don't know, maybe Mike, you can you can answer this for me in terms of the validity of it. But he he realized that you you could pay your employees up to one hundred thousand dollars annual salary during that eight-week period. And so during a, that specific eight-week period, everyone got a raise. And then after the eight-week period, they went back to their regular. And I think it was in the form of a bonus or something along those lines, but the, the there, math kind of bared no out. There were rules stipulating that you couldn't give out bonuses or, or, or pay increases during that time and, and use the money that way. It's actually so, incentivized to say, we'd like you to keep your employees on board. So there are no really rules on how you spent that money. That's interesting. So, so yeah, I had a, a, a doctor who hired his wife and paid her $100,000 a year salary 
and then uh, let her go. It was, <laughs> I, you know. I, I believe that happened because the original use period was shorter. Once they lengthened it, it stretched out, it was to eight or to twelve. Yeah. To actually use it for payroll and rent. But if you got a, a nice hefty loan and there was a risk that you weren't going to be able to use it all in that original six-week period, that's what I saw people doing. Week 11, give a bonus. Increasing comp where they could and mm -hmm. just making sure they got the full forgiveness. It was an eight-week period, then it shifted to a 24-week period. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, now the converse to that is, and we'll get into this discussion, but the employee retention credits. Right. How, how you paid your employees could impact how much money you get back on the employee retention credits on that double-edged sword. But that also requires, just sorry, a quick digression. That requires mm -hmm. some sort of revenue dip, doesn't it? To yes, qualify. Twenty-five percent revenue dip in any one quarter. Right. Yeah. Don't want to get too many people excited. Coming quick, quickly back uh, to you, and maybe another foundational question. So, um, you're looking mainly at the practices. Is there a component of real estate? You mentioned real estate. How real estate is sometimes part of these medical practices. Do you do mm -hmm. lending against the real estate too, or is that a separate facility, or how do you look at real estate? Yeah, absolutely. We do a ton of uh, real estate lending for healthcare providers. And in fact, uh, and, and Key's not, I don't think, unique in this, but um, kind of a shameless plug here, but we have a really strong appetite for, for real estate uh, within the healthcare space, such to the point we'll go 90% loan to value conventionally. Um, a lot of doctors think that they have to go SBA if, if they right. only want to put 10% down. We'll do it conventionally for doctors. Um, just kind of speaking to that, that appetite. A lot of other banks share that, um, that same appetite in the healthcare arena. Typically, it's a separate facility. Usually, there's an LLC holding company, but we underwrite, um, we underwrite that mortgage based on the cash flow of the practice. So, um, and that's what I normally see, and in, in, in fact, probably three right now that I'm working on. Doctor buys a practice, doesn't quite have the capacity to buy the real estate as well, uh, leases it back for a year to three years. At some point during that three-year period, they'll come back and, and purchase the real property. estate. Yeah. So one thing I want to go back to at the outset here, because I know from our prior conversations, this is something unique, I believe, to Key Bank, which is the cash flow side of things. You're talking mm -hmm. about one of the things you look at, and I believe in a conversation we've had, you've talked about a unique add-on or service that is associated with Key that helps um, streamline that collections process. Yeah, yeah. You talk to that That's or explain that. Juicy stuff there, yeah. streamlining AR and AP. Um, so yeah, so and and this is something that it's really interesting because. We're, as banks, we're competing with the likes of Amazon and Google and probably some fintech that is going to be the next big thing that we haven't heard of yet. Um, so we really need to up our game when it comes to streamlining the user experience and making that collections process easier. Um, we've taken kind of a unique approach in that we're um, partnering with a lot of fintechs and providing some really cool tools that help streamline those those procedures. Um, the biggest pain point in any medical practice is collecting from the insurance company, figuring out how much is due, has the deductible been met, what's the remaining amount due from the patient. Typical scenario, um, kind of old school scenario, I guess, is you go into, your knee hurts, you go into the orthopedic surgeon, they don't know what you owe yet. You don't know what you owe yet. You hope for the best. You give them your insurance card. You leave kind of wondering, gosh, I wonder how much this is going to cost me. A week later, you get a bill. 
it seems big, you throw it away thinking you're probably going to get five more. We'll wait till see what the insurance pays. Uh, and each of those bills, um, they've done studies, they cost about $12 to send to when you fix Yeah, cost about 12 bucks. Um, I once got a bill from my pediatrician for 32 cents. I'm like, you just spent $12 to bill me 32. You're like, why don't you just send me a check for it's $11? Called card right? Called yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, she became a patient or became a, became a client. But, um, so yeah, so now what we do is we, we have the ability to, okay, we've pre-screened you. It ties into the, uh, EMR, the, the practice management software. We know your insurance company. We know your policy number. We know if you've met your deductible or not, how much is left. We know what that, with those procedure codes, what the insurance company will pay. We can accept a card on file, and it can be stored in a HIPAA-compliant environment, a PCI-compliant environment as well. Um, and then you can have that conversation up front and know, okay, this is what we're expecting your amount to be uh, due. Maybe it's a couple grand. How about we set you on a payment plan, and we'll hit your card on the 15th every month for $150. The administrator doesn't have to do anything. It automatically goes into your file. The money goes into the account. It's coded properly so that it hits their books correctly. You may have said this. You, like the patient sets it up online before they even come in, right? The patient can set it up online as part of the, um, you know, the onboarding experience for the patient or the administrator, the, the person at the office can have that conversation with you when you're there. It's kind of up to the office manager to, you know, that practice and kind of their culture. And from what I recall you saying, this kind of takes, you know, the, the front line is those nice receptionists that we all meet when we come into the office who are uncomfortable with that mm -hmm. financial conversation. So you're basically taking that out of their hands and moving it into a kind of an automated feature, which, yep. you know, especially for things like co-pays, I think is where we were talking about it, where it's like, yep. oh, do you want to pay the copay or do you want us to send you a bill? And everybody will always say, we'll send we'll you We'll bill, bill you, yeah. Yeah, that actually, uh, so that those three words, we'll bill you. Uh, nationwide, it was like $42 trillion, don't quote me on that, but it was, I mean, it's in the trillions with a T, how much money that costs medical practices in write-offs. Collections or write-offs? They just, they don't collect those yeah. those funds. Um, and it's, it, we're at the point now where we, we just can't, it's just, it's not an acceptable way to do business anymore. And and I think a lot of it is, it's around training of that receptionist, they, or the, the office administrator. They think it's an uncomfortable question to have, but I mean, we all expect to, to pay for a service. It's more uncomfortable to avoid the conversation. It feels icky if you're not sure and you just don't mention it and he didn't mention it. It's just kind of the the awkward transition that never happens. And so if you have that conversation up front, it's really appreciated. Um, so if, if you retrain the office staff that, that you're actually doing a service to the patient, it's much more well-received and they tend to be a lot more open to this is just how we do business. I know I'm busy. I really appreciate it when they ask if I can just keep a card on file and, and bill me. It's more often than not, it's an HSA account anyway, and it's kind of fake money in my opinion. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's not, um, yeah, it, I think the biggest challenge there is training um, the people using that pro to just kind of have a new mindset around how to ask for that money. Sorry, I'm, I'm asking a lot yeah. of questions here. But, uh, you know, when I think about this and how that that one piece can enhance either a purchase or a sale, like to, to for a, a physician who's looking to sell their practice to implement something mm -hmm. like that and add that revenue to their bottom line that they might not other or cut the expenses one way or the other, 
alternatively, if you have a young doctor coming into a practice that hasn't been using that feature and then implements it, they've now increased their cash flow and ability to buy the practice. So either way, yeah. I can see that being a, a positive on the exit or the entrance it's, side of the business. That's one of the key components of a good to great book is the operating platform. Mm -hmm. right? So that's, that's exactly what you just said. Yeah, or even automatic millionaire. It's kind of that same yep. that same concept of just make it easy to collect. Like I went in my doctor's office and I just have to sign a little piece of paper that says if the insurance doesn't pay, you'll pay us. Yeah. <laughs> no conditions, no terms, just you will pay us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just to clarify, uh, KeyBank has put together a platform mm -hmm. um, to help these doctors do that. Yep. All right. Yep, and cool. it's built specifically for the healthcare space. Um, a lot of times you'll see kind of some retrofitted tools that it's ACH or it's, you know, merchant services, collecting cards with a pretty wrapper. Um, this one is the, the product is actually built for that unique cash flow cycle of a, of a medical practice. Cool. So if I could, uh, just, um, a couple questions, uh, kind of rising to the surface here. Uh, first of all, is the front end of the loan, um, knowing that, uh, doctors, you know, and no disrespect to any doctors that are listening today, but just typically uh, not um, super bent towards business um, and uh, a business mindset. Um, they're doctors for good reason, and we want them to be good doctors, not mm -hmm. great business people. But um, typically in applying for loans like this, um, it can be arduous for any business owner, um, regardless of your experience. Um, tell us a little bit about the front end, um, for those that would be interested in um, applying for, for a loan or refinancing maybe some debt that they have. Um, what does that uh, intake process look like? I know banks are starting to uh, get a little better with that. They're um, making it easier for uh, documents to be shared and collected and organized. Um, what's that What's that like on the front end for, uh, for a client or yeah. a prospect such as yours? Yeah, so it, funny you should ask that. We're actually in, in the process. I think COVID has kind of sped up a lot of these types of things, but um, we just rolled out a, um, a really cool and very robust online portal where you can upload documents to the online portal. Um, and it, it's got some really neat kind of sharing features in there. You can uh, send the request to a CPA who can securely share those documents in a, um, in a safe way. Uh, I would say, the, for me, the most important part is meeting that, uh, that client where they're at. Everyone has preferences on how they, how they store documents, how they share documents, how they have that conversation. Um, <laughs> I, I was working with a doctor a couple years ago, and he was like, here's page two. I, that's all I got. Is that enough? I don't, it's in a storage bin somewhere. Can, and I was like, you're just, you're a mess. But I was able to glean enough information from page two of, of last year's tax return to have a meaningful conversation and see if it was even worth pursuing. Um, and if it was worth him, you know, digging through his storage shed to find, <laughs> to find other tax returns or to find the rest of the returns. So, uh, a lot of people, you know, I once was having lunch with a doctor um, he was a very paper-oriented guy, didn't didn't like electronic anything. We had lunch. At the end of the lunch, he um, said, come on back to my office, opened his door, unlocked his file cabinet, and said, here, dig in there and, and get what you need. I'm going to go see some patients. <laughs> I thought, I, I don't know that I would recommend that, but, you know, that, that works for him. So I, th I think flexibility is the key. 
when you're working with that. Nobody likes digging around for documents. That I, you know, we recently bought a house and going through that mortgage process personally, I kind of feel that pain. So I, I tend to be. You found a house to buy? Can you believe it? I know. Yeah. We got the last one in Denver. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, if we could, and I don't mm-hmm. know how much more time we've got here, but uh, talk a little bit about the, um, the, the typical loan structure. I know they, they mm-hmm. vary, obviously. Um, but uh, maybe some of just in generality what you're seeing out there as far as uh, rates, loan structure, terms, but also covenants. I mean, I think that's a, a pretty important thing to just um, you know talk a little bit about um, uh, you know around the use of money and how it can be used, and specifically some of the the payback terms, things like that. Yeah. So uh, typically, what we'll do at Key on real estate, we can um, we can go out as far as twenty five years um, on the term. We can fully amortize that loan. Um, we can even fix the rate. Um, for that period of time, which is pretty unique. I think uh, most banks will do 10 or 15 year term on a 20 or 25 year AM, but we can, um, we can kind of set that term a little longer. Um, And then on a practice loan, we can go out 10 years. Um, Typically, I personally like to see five to seven year term on a practice loan. Um, just because I know in that 10-year period, other expenses are going to come up, other needs are going to come up. The quicker they can pay that debt down, it, it only benefits them in the long run. So um, we do have a lot of flexibility, though, in how we structure that term. Each each loan is looked at unique. Um, there's no cookie-cutter uh, formula that we apply, really. We look at each loan and, and say what, what makes sense. I was just working on one yesterday where it was a great practice, great doctor, Cash flow was a little tight, so we, we stretched the term out of the practice loan to 10 years um, just to give them just a little bit of wiggle room. Um, so, yeah, those are kind of the terms. Uh, rates are stupid low right now um, for real estate loans, um, probably kind of low fours, I would say, um, and really the same on, on practice loans. Obviously, they, they change daily. It's subject to change, but, um, but yeah, money's, money's super cheap right now. So, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. But for, Just for the public, a practice loan isn't like you practice paying back or practice <laughs> lending. It's, yeah. it's like now we're The loan for the practice, yes, yes. Okay. For the listeners out there, can you explain to them what you do and what you mean when you say you evaluate cash flow? What are you looking at? Yeah, so um, another kind of term that a lot of um, people are familiar with is debt to income. So we'll we'll look at um, debt service, which is basically everything that you have to to pay to to keep things afloat on your loans and then um, fixed charges so which is basically all your bills so um, we'll look at basically all the cash outflow and compare it to the cash inflow and we like to see there to be more cash inflow than cash outflow so, so you do use a component piece of the balance sheet when you're looking at debt to income ratio and you're probably looking at like a current ratio Mm-hmm. as well over an extended period of time to see what their ability is to meet their current obligations. Yep. We we that's one of the one of the areas that we look at certainly is is liquidity. We we typically look at it on a global scale, which is sometimes trickier to do. Um, I've seen practices that that keep, you know, six figures 
in cash just sitting in a checking account. Um, and then I see practices that by design keep things really skinny um, and they put that money to use elsewhere, usually in a retirement fund or you know investments um, and they'll pull it out and put it in their name personally. Uh, they, they typically, we don't have a lot of heartburn about that as long as we understand what's going on. So if the liquidity or the quick ratio looks, looks you know worse than, than average, we just need to know the story. Yeah, and I work a lot so. with the businesses, that, you know, not necessarily doctors and, and dentists, but businesses in general, <clears throat> to make sure that their their assets and their liabilities are properly classified between current and long term. So as their ratios really look common. the way they should look, as opposed to completely yeah. distorted because they have yeah, that's kind of numbers a, in wrong places. Kind of a textbook example in all the training classes we go through is you know the the asset doesn't match the, the liability, and it, that generally stems from uh, borrowers using a line of credit to buy a long-term fixed asset. So they'll buy a piece of equipment on their line of credit, and then it's just kind of sitting there stale. So, um, so yeah, that's something I see probably more often than not a borrower that does that. So we'll, we'll catch that and remedy it while we're looking at, at other things, too. Thanks. So that, that just begs one last question here. Um, we've talked about real estate along with the practice. What about the equipment financing? Like w what type of offerings do you have there? Because doctors, you know, medical equipment can be sometimes pretty pricey to mm -hmm. pull down if it's not done on some yeah. sort of lease loan or that sort of thing. Yeah, so there's a lot of options. Uh, we could look at a long-term lease. We could look at a, a loan. Again, we'll kind of evaluate each situation. A lot of it has to do with the tax benefits of a lease and if it makes sense for that individual practice. Um, often I'll refer them to their CPA to, to kind of give them some advice there because that's definitely outside of my lane. Um, but we, we can certainly do leases or just a, a flat you know term loan. Um, a lot of doctors I work with, that leases scare them a little bit and they don't fully understand them. So they just want a term loan just because I understand that I've bought a car before. I know what it, what a term loan looks like. Um, so we'll, we'll do that. We can also even in a lot of cases kind of get a little more complex and do like a, uh, it looks like a line of credit at the front set. So if you're, um, you know, in equipping a, an entirely new operatory and you're going to buy seven or eight pieces of equipment from seven or eight different vendors with seven or eight different invoices uh, instead of having seven or eight different loans and cl loan closings and payments, um, we'll approve you up to a certain amount for that project, pay all the invoices, take care of that loan. Once that project is complete, then it kind of automatically turns into a term loan. Um, so those are pretty pretty common in situations where it's buying equipment to expand. Um, you can also frequently you can roll in training or um, you know getting that equipment installed in part of that kind of overall project cost. So just for the doctors and dentists out there, you know if you're considering a lease versus a buy, talk with your CPA because you can get a favorable lease such a way that you can call it a capitalized lease and treat everything just like it was a fixed asset purchase. And we do those, yeah. That's usually why I send them to the CPA, so the CPA sells it for me. Just got <laughs> to structure the contract correctly. Yeah. Shelly, this was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, we learned you, so fun. much on, on behalf of the whole expert team. I, I know I learned a lot, and we really appreciate your expertise. Uh, we talked about a lot today. We talked about loans. We talked about actually consolidating loans and, and balance sheets issues. We talked about cash flows. 
Uh, we talked about even going back into history and looking at the PPP, which is Nate's always favorite topic. <laughs> the rest of us moan and groan, but he brings it up repeatedly just to torture <laughs> us. We really do enjoy your expertise. Thank yeah. you so much, and we look forward to our next podcast together. Yeah, thank you. Create a beautiful day. Thank you for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed the information we shared. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with someone else and join us next time. If you want to meet with a member of the team, please contact us at info at expertnetworkteam.com. That's info at expertnetworkteam.com. If you have special topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to us and let us know at the same email address. Again, that's info at expertnetworkteam.com. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We want to remind you that listening to this podcast does not establish a client professional relationship with any of the firms represented, nor does it constitute legal, investment, or accounting advice, and the views are those of the professionals only. Investment advisory services may be provided through ANI Financial Services, and securities may be provided through Genios Wealth Management.